Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Hello again, friends, and thanks for joining us here on the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Once again, I'm John Russin. I serve as the host, and I'm here with my dear friend, Pastor Frank Friedman and his giant dog. How are you today, my friend? <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. How about you? Well, I'm doing well. Still trying to uh, finagle a move to eastern Tennessee, but we're still uh, still working on that. Well, friends, if you've joined us for the first time, first, we want to thank you. Uh, and second, we want to let you know where we are. You've caught us uh, right at the very end of our current series. We call it Life in the Body of Christ, uh, the One Another's in scripture. And it's all about how God designed and equipped us for living his kingdom life here on earth. I guess the good news is, Frank, that we don't have to wait to get to heaven to experience kingdom living. And so today, my friend, we're going to wrap this whole thing up with the last one another. We've had 16 so far. This is the 17th. And the last one we talked about was tough, man. Uh, It was forgive one another. But I think this one even tops that in difficulty. It is love one another. And I've got two verses I want to read, and then we're going to trust God and dive into this. John 13, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And then just two chapters later, in the very same speech, To his disciples, Jesus says in John 15, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So I see here, Frank, the word commandment used twice, the word love one another used twice, and the measure for love, just as I have loved you, twice again. My goodness, Frank. In fact, when I started counting the love one another's in the New Testament, I topped out at 14, and there might be more that I missed. So first thought, Frank, love is pretty important, isn't it? <laughs> of course, because, you know, in First John chapter 4, God is love. I mean, it's such an important little phrase. Uh, John, if we just think about it, he is. It doesn't say he has love. And that's so important because if he had love, uh, there might come a time when he doesn't have love, but he is love. It's his nature. It's who he is. And if in this glorious new covenant economy, he has come to live inside of us, then love dwells in us. So it's only right that it would be a command, don't you think, to call us to live according to who we really are and according to what we really have. We are to be the best lovers in the world because the very person of love lives in and through us by faith. That is amazing, just as the song has said, amazing love. Oh, yes, indeed. And you hit on the word, Frank, commandment. 
We've talked about this throughout this series, but we said specifically last time when we talked about forgiveness, that we are to put on forgiveness. And listeners, this is not that you put on like a garment every once in a while and you act loving. No, this means that what's inside of you needs to come out of you. That when someone meets you, the first thing they see about you is love. So that's really quite a standard, my friend, isn't it? In fact, it's not a standard for us to meet. It's impossible for us to meet. We are truly walking in high cotton here. That's for sure. I know that's, that's a Southern phrase and you're not a Southern boy, but walking in high cotton means that you are in the presence of greatness. Mm. Well, you know, he also added, Jesus did, that the world would know that we're his disciples uh, by the love that we have one for another. And I think, John, we need to tie that verse into that command, which he says is new. It's fascinating. A new commandment. Why new? Because the old commandment was love your neighbor as yourself. And that's a pretty good standard. But, you know, religious people got around that by asking the question, who is my neighbor? And so what the Pharisees did is they would say, well, only my fellow Pharisee is my true neighbor. <laughs> so they got around that commandment. But when it comes to loving the way God loves, that's a whole new kind of love, a love of sacrifice, a love with no hook. We as mankind love with a hook. I'll love you, John, if you love me. But if you stop loving me, then I'm not going to love you. That's human love. Or I'll love you because of what you do for me. You're the best person to ever meet my needs. So I'm going to wrap you up with a ring and, and I'm going to love you. It's a selfish love, a manipulative love, a controlling love. But God loves for free with no hook. He died for people, whether they ever receive him and love him back or not. The popular word, as you know, John, is an unconditional love. And the Holy Spirit took that very obscure word, agape, and put it in the profoundest place in the New Testament to define the kind of love that God loves with. And that's why I think when that love is in us, radiating out of us, the world's going to take notice. They're going to see that we love the way normal people don't love. At least that's the way it's supposed to be. Right. It's the way we are equipped to live. Uh, we don't always agree. Uh, you know, we can choose to deny what's inside of us and walk according to the flesh, but that's not how we were recreated in Christ. I want to talk for a few minutes, Frank, on this standard. You know, you mentioned the standard, just as I have loved you. And as we've been talking through all these one another's, it might be easy to develop a long checklist. This is the 17th one another. So you have the 16 before. Let's imagine laying them out on a piece of paper and making a checklist and going through one by one. Have I done this one? Have I done that one? Have I done this one up here? Oh, I missed this one down there. And so when we approach it that way, we're missing the boat entirely. So if we get all the boxes checked, Okay, good. I've loved. No, that's not the way we look at it. We need to reverse the order. And let me go through, Frank, and just take a moment 
and restate all of these one another's in this context of love. And this is what I'm going to say. When we love, we will show humility for one another, prefer one another, we'll greet one another, we'll be kind to each other, we'll submit ourselves and serve one another, we'll have equal concern for one another, we'll be tenderhearted, we'll accept one another, we won't judge, we'll be at peace, we'll be patient, we won't grumble, we won't slander, but we'll teach will admonish and will forgive. So this is what will come out of us. Wow. This is what people will see on the outside when we put on love. This is a lifestyle. This is not a checklist, my friend. This is a lifestyle, a supernatural life that's coming out of us because there's no way, Frank, that you and I on our best day uh, maybe the best half a day for me and the best half a day for you put together could ever come close to matching this completely. Wow. What a standard that we absolutely can't live up to without Christ in us. Yeah. You know, John, I think that was the whole purpose of the law. You know, when we look back at the Garden of Eden and in order to understand the New Testament, the redemption that we have, we need to find what we were redeemed from. And mankind was created by God. And you say, why? Why did God create us in the first place? And, you know, you and I have both heard some really ridiculous things like, well, he created us to, so we'd serve him or obey him or worship him. And that turns God into the you know biggest codependent in the universe. And that's not what this is all about. If he's love, he doesn't create beings to magnify himself. We had kids because we wanted to love them and share our life with them. And that's why he had kids. He wanted to share his life and love. But man made a choice to listen to another voice that said, we can be like God. And we chose to live out of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil and become as God. We lived under law. And so God gave his law, uh, really just the system of law, the principle of law put into a code and said, do this, don't do that. But when we look at those 10 commandments, John, what it really is, is a call to love. You see, if I love you, I won't steal from you. If I love you, I won't gossip about you. If I love my mom and dad, I'll honor them. If I love God, I won't put another God before him. It's all love. It's just love stated negatively. And the purpose of that law was to show us we couldn't be God. What it really was, was to show us we couldn't love. We cannot really love without the person who is love. And that's really what this is all about. Well, well said, my friend. Let's take a deep dive. You said a few things about this word love. Let's look a little more closely at this. Now, a lot of people have asked in common culture, you know, what is love? And the world has a million different definitions. We can't really go through and take the time to read all of the one another's as part of the definition for love. So during the course of this study, we have sort of created a functional definition. And that's been doing the most redemptive and constructive and honoring thing for someone, building someone else up. Another way we can say it is 
It's a pure, a willful, a sacrificial attitude that intentionally and purposely desires another person's highest good. Wow. Wow. Boil that down even further. It's treating other people as more important than you are. So love is not complicated, my friend. As I've digested through all these one another's we've talked about, love isn't complicated. It's just setting aside and doing the most honoring and constructive thing we can for someone because we treat them as more important than we are. So it's really pretty simple, but we run out of energy really quickly if we try to do this uh, with our own abilities. It has to be driven from God, doesn't it? Yeah. And you know, John, I think part of the problem with people failing to understand that to love a human being is supernatural is the way our English language uses the word love. I could say to you, John, I love ice cream and I love my dog, Samson, and I love my wife. And in our English language, of course, you realize what I've just said. I love my wife the same way I love my dog. We use the word very generically to include so many different things. But in the Greek language, and it's interesting, it says God sent his son in the fullness of time. He sent him at the time of the Roman Empire, which had peace throughout the empire, had a system of roads so people could travel throughout the empire, and a common language called the Koine Greek. And so it was the perfect time to launch the gospel. And the Koine Greek, as you know, has four different words for love. Storge, family love. Phileo, brotherly love. Erao, which, you know, the world is perverted. We make it erotic. But what it really was, was romantic love. And boy, using it that way, John, you know, I could say that I have erao for my bride, romantic love, but I have kind of phileo for my dog, Samson, you know, and then we could communicate better with each other. And then, of course, that Greek word, agape, uh, that's the unique word that only God uses for his own love. And that's what's impossible for us, has to be supernatural, but we lay hold of through our union with him as we walk by faith. Wow. Yeah, that's really cool. It's almost like, Frank, listening to you talk, that father just stuck his finger into the Greek language, the Koine Greek, and said, I'm going to take this word. You know, it, you don't use it much, but I'm going to give this a special meaning. And wow, what an amazing thing. And you said this before, he doesn't just have love, he is love. He can't do anything but love when he mm. relates to us. You know, that's important to understand. I, this, I don't want to get on a rabbit trail, but when we grasp that fact, Frank, this gives us a, a perspective on all the sufferings that our father allows into our life. By definition, they pass through the hedge that he parted so they are an expression of his love to us. Hmm. You know, that really should change our perspective on, on our entire life. Hmm. I was reflecting on that, what you were saying there. You know, I have a, we have a dear friend, Steve Pettit, and one of the things he said not long ago was that God will allow 
whatever is necessary into our lives to maximize our potential to express the life of Christ and further his kingdom. And that boy, what he said fits right into what you're saying. Yeah. It's, it's love for us so that we would be completely conformed, dependent on Christ, fully experiencing Christ, but then bringing that to fruition by fully expressing Christ and his love to a world that lies in darkness and really experiences unlove. So it's love towards us in, in a multifaceted way, John, not just for us, but for others through us. Yes, indeed. God is just amazing. I wish I could think like that all the time, but <laughs> yeah. when something happens in my life, my, unfortunately, my tendency is often to react instead of respond. You know, God gave us reflexes, uh, but sometimes <laughs> those reflexes function in the way they, they shouldn't. You hit on some good points, Frank. I want to jump from there and use that as a segue to, to go into the love chapter, right? We see mm. 1 Corinthians 13 plastered everywhere, t-shirts, plaques, bookmarks. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 13, what is love? So we're going to attempt to define this infinite love that passes understanding. This is what Paul says. Love is patient. It's kind. It rejoices with the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. And this is the part I don't like. It endures, it endures <laughs> all things. And it never fails. And, and now, sandwiched into all those things about what love is, Paul weaves these. The what love isn't list. Love isn't envying. It doesn't boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't ever insist on its own way. Boy, that gets me too. It isn't mm -hmm. irritable. It never gets resentful. And it never rejoices at wrongdoing. So when I look at these two lists, Frank, I'm just overwhelmed by what Father has equipped me to do and then overwhelmed by the fact that so often I don't avail myself of what he's equipped me with. Because none of these phrases I just read means anything unless it's expressed in interaction with people. Because we can't mm. love without people. Mm. And so the best way to test, to give yourself a litmus test of, well, okay, Father, what does my love look like on the outside? Just interface with a group of people and then run through this checklist, hmm. run through this list. You know, Father, what am I, how am I doing here? I want to express your life, but boy, it really takes a close walk with you sometimes to get over some of the wieners that you, you bring into my path. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I was listening to you read those, John, and they are the one another's. Indeed, they are. <laughs> It's just interesting that 1 Corinthians 13 functions almost like a definition, and then the one another's function as the lab or the expression of those definitions. And I was reflecting on this, you know, you could put love for each, of course, that's how the Holy Spirit put it, love is patient, love is kind, love does not boast. You could put God in there instead of love. God That's is right. patient. God is kind. 
And because we're in union with him, we could actually say, uh, John is patient, John is kind, uh, Frank doesn't boast. Uh, uh, but boy, that starts to meddle a little bit, but it's true. Yeah, it's it's true about us in our inward parts, about, about the real Frank, the real John. Our challenge, my friend, as it is for every believer out there, is to take what's true about us on the inside and make it the first thing people see about us on the outside, to put on patience and kindness and enduring all things. Um, boy, oh boy. This is interesting. Oh, the, the cool part, though, Frank, is that we don't have to muster this up. We don't have to say, OK, Father, I'm going to grab hold of, of love and I'm going to just let it flow, re, flow through me. We don't have to restore it. We don't have to recharge it. We don't have to muster it up. How do I know that? Because Romans 5 tells us this, my friend. He has poured out love into our hearts. So there's more there than we can ever need. I don't know if our listeners have ever visited Niagara Falls. Some years ago, Terry and I took all of our kids there on a trip. And we took this boat ride. I think it was called the Maid of the Mist. And we all climbed on a boat. We wrapped ourselves in these plastic raincoats. And the boat chugged up to the base of the Horseshoe Falls on the Canadian side. And water was going everywhere. And the picture that comes into my mind is if I were to have taken a glass and held it under the waterfall, how much water would be pouring into the glass and overflowing every place else? That's the word picture that came into my mind when I think of God pouring his love into our hearts, an infinite love, just like the Niagara River, pouring into us, just waiting to come out. Wow. Yeah, it's more than you would ever need personally, more than you could ever handle relationally, you know, between you and God. I, I, it's, it's a devastating love. It's a turbulent love. But then I think we could add, because we were all made for community, more than we need sufficiently to be able to love others. So it's a full gamut of the experience of who God is, wants to be to us, and wants to be through us to the other people in this world. I think I'd want to say this. It really captures what the essence of God is really all about. You know, in the Western culture, we tend to think of knowing something as putting it in our mind. And so we have definition of Trinity as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Same nature, three different persons. We illustrate it with H2O. Uh, water, steam, and ice are all H2O, but different, but the same. But the Eastern mind used a different word for Trinity. It was called perichoresis, periperimeter choreas, which is the dance. And so, you know, the Eastern church, I think, laid hold better, if you will, of the triune God, that it's a dance of love. And that's what God created us for, so that we could share the dance, experiencing it, expressing it, love given, love received, love released. And wow, uh, no wonder Jesus said, the world will know who we are. Oh, wow. uh, we'll turn the world upside down if we yeah. could love like that. 
You know, you said love received and love released, Frank. My mind goes back to holding my cup under Niagara Falls and all the water that, that, that I didn't capture. And I'm thinking about my own life and I need a certain collection of different expressions of love from my father. Uh, you need love from him too, but maybe not expressed in the same way. And so if we want to look at it selfishly, I could just dip my cup into the Niagara River and I could fill it up and that'd be fine for me. But Father gives me access to so much more, maybe not for me, but for every other person I come into contact with. Because while I might not need love expressed in the way that person needs it, I can share that love because I am being overflowed with my father's love. It boils down to this, no matter who I meet, I have the ability to share love with them. I might not be able to solve all their problems or give them all their answers, but I can love them, period. Wow, that's encouraging, that's empowering, that's inspiring that our father has done that in us for others. Wow. You know, John, listening to you, Jesus did capture all of what you just said in John 7, the Feast of Tabernacles, which, of course, is the Israelites traveling in the desert. And if you're in the desert, you need water. And so they would hold this Feast of Tabernacles in remembrance of how God provided water. And Jesus broke up the celebration and said, maybe the most profound words in the New Testament. He said, if any person thirst, and the scope is incredible, anyone, doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, what gender you are, what your occupation is, anybody. And then he says, if you thirst, and he didn't clarify it, he didn't say thirst after righteousness or thirst after love or thirst after security, he said, just if you thirst, so anybody with any thirst, come to me. I'll satisfy it. But then he added this. And then through you, rivers of living water shall flow. And if we keep it in context, John, we live in a desert, just like the Israelites did. So God will satisfy our thirst. And then through us, he'll satisfy the thirst of others in this desert world. Oh my goodness, John, just like you just said, we have the capacity to meet anyone, anywhere they are, and bring them the only true water, the living water is with the Samaritan woman that will satisfy whatever thirst they have, because we're bringing them the great lover of their souls. There's a condition though, Frank, to making this a reality in our lives. I could take that boat ride and I could take my cup and hold it up to Niagara Falls and I can turn it upside down. So the water's flowing all around me, but not much, if any, gets in. My cup has to runneth over. My cup has to be full to overflowing before it can really spill out to someone else. Because unless I am fully receiving the love Father has for me, resting and rejoicing in it, trusting him and at peace in his love for me, 
it's not going to flow out of me very well. So there's a condition in there that we've got to get the love thing straight with our father before we can really be most effective in ministering love to others. And here's the upside to that, Frank. When we finally figure it out, when we learn to accept love from our father so we can give it to others, my mind goes to what Paul told the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians. Hey, you're loving each other, man, but we urge you, brothers, do this more and more, 1 Thessalonians 4. 2 Thessalonians 1, hey, man, you did it. Now do it even more. So you can't ever exhaust the river of living waters. You can't ever exhaust the Niagara Falls of God's love, either in your own life or in the lives of others. It's just more than enough to meet every need in us and every need in every person we'll ever encounter. Wow. Yeah, you know, none of us ever has to, in our expending of love to another, say, what about me? Uh, because we're already drawing love from an infinite source. And we don't ever have to worry about our well running dry. What an amazing thought, John, that we are in union with the living God of the universe who is an inexhaustible supply of a life that is love. Uh, you know, it's just mind-boggling. I remember a, a person came to me years ago and said, uh, you know, Pastor Frank, you're always teaching about Jesus and always teaching about love. How come you never teach on holiness? And I said, well, ma'am, I teach on holiness every Sunday. And she said, I've never heard it. And I said, well, maybe that's our definition of holiness. What's your definition? And she said, well, it's keeping the Ten Commandments. I said, oh, there it is. We have a different definition. And she said, what's yours? I said, well, my definition of holiness is that we love with the love of Jesus. I said, you see, when we love with the love of Jesus, we're going to be naturally fulfilling all the Ten Commandments. We're never going to be stealing. We're never going to be committing adultery. We're going to be loving. And loving is synonymous with holiness. It's the expression of the holy, loving, giving God of the universe. But people don't think of holiness that way, that it's really love. Yeah, it truly is. Listen to you talk. My mind goes to... Uh... A passage in first peter well he talks about loving one another too and peter uses the word fervently love one another fervently first peter one i looked up this word and it means exactly what you think it means it earnestly and intensely but this is cool frank it comes from a root verb that means to stretch out the hand so that means that we are to look for avenues to love people. Father, who should I love today and how shall I love them? Make that plain to me, sir. Uh, an attitude of always stretching out the hand to grasp someone who needs the love of God. Well, I'll confess to you, my friend, and to all those who might listen, uh, I haven't done this as often as I should, but I'm going to trust my father from now on that he will make that so in my life. Wow. 
Yeah, and you know, John, when you just said that, I would remind our listeners of what you also said earlier, so that that's not taken out of context. This is not something we can muster up. This is not something we manufacture. If God is love, then love is from God. And the only way we will ever love is by abiding in him. Our only responsibility is to walk intimately, deeply connected to the vine so that his vine life flows through us, producing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And though we both know and our listeners know that it's not the fruits of the Spirit, it's singular, the very first one mentioned is love. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I want have one last thought that I want to kick around, Frank, before we wrap this up today. And I want to talk about the fact that uh, a point you mentioned earlier about a sense of community. In fact, you use that very word, community, that love is best expressed in community. And over the years, I've attended a lot of churches. And what I find is that people everywhere are looking for a sense of community. But I don't really see too many churches that focus on community. Some of them focus on being mini seminaries. Some focus on doing what's right and avoiding what's wrong, looking good, acting better. Some are focused on social programs and they can confuse that with love. But I've never seen a church that in its fundamental mission statement will have the concept of we focus on one another in, in this body. And Frank, I, I think that's why love impacts so many people because there's just not much out there, even in the church, is there? You know, I, I think that's really true, John. I, I think one of the big mistakes that we're making, and, and this is true of the new covenant community as well, the people of grace, is that we can take this as a consumer mindset. What's in it for me? Uh, so I go to church to get from them instead of going to be unto them. And that's why people get frustrated. They get isolated. I don't think that's ever our question to say, what can I get out of this assembly? But what can I bring to it? Because I've already got all that I need from him who lives inside me. I think that's a real problem. Yeah. And one last word from me before we wrap this up, my friend, is to remind all of us that every time we walk into church, that word fervently should yes. rattle around in our heads. Walking into that assembly by stretching out our hands, not literally, of course, but, but looking for ways to love people. As you said, most often we walk in and bring our checklist. What does this place have? What does that place have? And we're going to choose the place that has the most checkboxes filled. Oh, well, I don't mean to bash the church, my friend, but it is a glaring issue that all of us face. Uh, all of us uh, feel lonely. All of us feel a, a part of an insufficient community or no community at all. And that's not the way our father has equipped us. So uh, my last comments in this whole series are that I will pray for both you and me, Frank, and for every one of our listeners and everyone who's associated with our Resolute Hope, 
that they will learn to open their hands, open their arms, stretch out fervently to exhibit the life of Christ to all they meet. Father, please make it so. All right, my friend, last comments. What do you got for us? I think that word you brought out fervently. I take great comfort, John, from looking at the person who wrote that. You know, I think in our journey of faith, sometimes we can look in the mirror and get frustrated, get disappointed, get down on ourselves when we stumble and fall. And yet the man who wrote that, you know, if you read the gospels, that's probably the least likely person you would think would have (laughs) written that. When I read the gospels, I see this big, burly, kind of arrogant, ornery Peter. He's a hard charger. He's kind of like a bull in a china shop. And yet years later, walking with Christ intimately, experientially, uh, when the church is getting beat up, who writes this letter to comfort the saints? It's Peter. And he says, fervently love one another from the heart. This gives me hope that if that man could become (laughs) the the apostle of love, then there's hope for us too. Indeed there is. So friends, it's been a great journey for us so far this number of weeks on the podcast. uh, As I mentioned, we've been talking about the one another's uh, Frank's and my take on life and the body of Christ. Please visit our website, pop us an email, sign up for our newsletter. You can find us at OurResoluteHope.com. We'd love to hear from you. Check out our books available on Amazon, including Pastor Frank's newest, Finding God in the Gray, The Lonely Path of Pain. It's a very powerful book. And of course, follow us on every one of our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram. Check out our YouTube channel. And of course, you can find our podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon Music. And once again, Frank, we close with the same reminder, and it never gets old because it's always fresh. It's from Hebrews 6 that we have this hope as an anchor for our souls. Peter, our our hero today, Peter calls it a living hope. And my goodness, after his life, he should know. It's a living hope. It's a resolute hope. It's a steadfast, immovable, bedrock kind of hope. This hope is Jesus. And so today and always, choose hope and choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, He offers you Himself, His own life. He wants to live His life with you, in you, and through you as you trust Him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.